As free-thinking, prosperity-minded, and genuine people, we are called to create an economy for ourselves that is focused on elevating good ideas and good people to wealth. The institutions of control are beyond fixing at this point. Whether it is the big tech companies, banking institutions, large retailers, big pharma, etc., we must realize that we will be powerless if we do not actively disengage and invest in a future economy. Sitting on the internet and complaining about all the corruption is not going to cut it. We must take responsibility for our own well-being and our own prosperity. I plan on creating a paid course called Breaking the Financial Matrix that will be a guide to helping individuals take control of their financial lives. But for this podcast, I will detail the case for why we need to take action uh, and a few ways we can start doing it now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Matrix Breakers. Uh, now, this is going to be a good podcast. It's going to be kind of lengthy, but I think it's going to be well worth the listen. And uh, uh, we're going to get into the financial matrix today and the all of this different elements of it and uh, how we can better our lives by uh, disassociating and getting out of the financial matrix in every avenue that we possibly can. So let's first identify the central issues in the financial realm. Uh, let's take a look at uh, the economy as we know it uh, is looking to centralize as much as possible through a variety of different means. Uh, let's, let's look at a few of these examples. So we've been seeing food shortages uh, and just in general inflation, uh, meaning your, your chicken and your beef and your, and your veggies and things like that are becoming more and more expensive through inflation, which I'll get to the government shutdown in a moment. But more importantly, food shortages themselves. Uh, the ability for a supply chain to even function correctly, we're having a, uh, that's also kind of a part of the, I would say, organized chaos of this financial collapse we're currently in. Uh, the other thing is that raw material shortages are a thing right now. Uh, one thing is bit, pretty big, which is lumber. Now, lumber is, is, there's a shortage for lumber, but really what happened with lumber is the price index has increased. And so you have a massive, massive inflation in lumber. Uh, like a plank of wood is like 300% more than it was two years ago. So this is a way for, again, to consolidate that power into a central authority, which we'll get into. Another aspect is the supply chain breakdown, but especially for small businesses, okay? Because small businesses, they don't get the first cut. They don't get the first, you know, uh, dibs on what becomes available during shortages, during supply chain issues. Uh, there's, there's ships from China that are literally backed up for miles in Seattle, in the Seattle ports right now, for example, uh, and in, in San Diego as well. And so all of these shipping and, and different, these failures really of infrastructure is what's happening in, in a big way. It hits small businesses first and foremost. Um, now call that what you want to, but what's happening essentially is the Costco's and the Walmarts and the Targets are always able to get their, their distribution channels correctly because they have they pay a premium price, but they also, in many ways, have a monopoly over retail sales and retail markets, right? 
And so small businesses that are selling maybe something similar, whether it's a paint shop or whether it's a mechanic or whether it's a crystal shop or you know a gift shop or a t-shirt shop or whatever it is, just small business-wise, they're not getting access to a lot of these shortages and it's going to get worse. You're going to start seeing less and less inventory in these small businesses and uh, this is a really big issue. Uh, small businesses are the enemy of the corporate fascism that's currently taking place. So uh, if you haven't noticed, small businesses are the largest employer, by the way, of um, in the United States. And now what we're seeing is the implementation of the agenda going into the small business realm, right? Uh, I wrote down that small businesses, they have the rights to operate without implementing these systems of control. And I gave examples like masking and social distancing and lockdowns and mandatory vaccines. Notice how it's a 100 employees, right? Uh, so you've got that. And they're not doing forms of payment that are always approved of, if you will, or tracked and traced. Cash, for example. I don't know if you've noticed, but they're starting to not accept cash at places uh, like Whole Foods and, and different parts of the country um, and even Walmart and things like that. And they say it's because cash is dirty and things. We're going to get to why that's happening. There are also small businesses don't have to do the propaganda thing, right? They, you know, a small business gym owner doesn't have to have CNN on their their program, you know what I mean? Whereas a sort of a large corporate entity may be uh, contracted with, with companies like Fox News and CNN where that's all they can play at their gym. I'm just giving an example. Like what we have with airports. They have in airports, it's only CNN because there's this government contract where all the public transit and public airports, they have to have CNN on their, as their news, which I think is odd. Um, but you know, the small businesses right now, you know, they have the liberty to sort of run their business the way they want to. Uh, granted, they can't violate people's rights, uh, like, you know, civil liberties and those kinds of cases. And they can't poison people, obviously can't be feeding food with rat poison in it. You know, there's, there's simple regulations that are, that are necessary and to keep the, the market a safe place to do business. Um, but essentially small businesses, they're able to have that freedom to be like, yeah, dude, you can take off the mask at my cafe or the coffee shop or my library or my bookstore, you know? They're able to do that or they're able to be like, yeah, I'm not gonna vaccinate all my employees. See, they have these freedoms that in corporate settings like large hospitals in New York, they're forcing the mandatory vaccine like no big problem. Like they just, they're just, that's just totally normal. And so they're having the National Guard fill in the places where nurses and doctors are literally getting fired. They're having to leave work because they're refusing the vaccine, right? So you have all these different issues with small businesses when it comes to the elites. The elites have a problem with them. We as the people, we should be investing in small businesses as often as possible. And so I really want to pour that on and help you realize that that's, that's where we need to go. Uh, that could be as simple as thrifting what you need. Uh, that could be as simple as using the OfferUp marketplace and Facebook marketplace to buy things instead of going to this, going to your you know Bass Pro Shop or your Costco's and things of that nature, large retailers. You know, just support each other, support uh, small businesses, and in that manner, right? Just choosing where you buy things. Uh, but it's important because 
if the small businesses lose inventory, they don't have access to the supply chain, and then they're uh, they're beat in competition with corporate entities that surround the area, um, and then you choose not to go to small business in a conscious way, then small businesses will be a thing of the past, and all we will have is corporate entities that exist in large retailers, and they're going to be all over the place, and, and if you can't get to those places, you're, you're basically going to be shit out of luck, right? And then what's going to happen later is all of the rules and regulations, like you think masking is a thing? You think mandatory vaccines are a thing? Just wait until we talk about the central banking digital currencies and different aspects that they're about to roll out on all of us, okay? So that's very important. Um, I will brief on the government shutdown. Government shutdown is going to occur. Uh, Janet Yellen, who's been uh, both the Federal Reserve Chair and the Treasury Secretary, that's an interesting way to look at it. How could somebody be the head of the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury and, and flip-flop on those those places? That's kind of weird. Uh, but Janet Yellen just said that in, in uh, what is it, the 18th of October, the government, the U.S. Treasury, uh, runs out of money essentially. So the government will have to shut down again, uh, like what happened, I think it was like a couple years ago. Uh, and there's actually a lot of chaos in Washington. There's a lot of political things happening right now where you have a democratic controlled uh, House and Senate and presidency, but they can't seem to all agree. And they uh, they want to do things that are going to generationally change the country with all these spending bills and things they're trying to they're pass. But I will just put it like this. What's happening in our government is we've reached a debt limit and there's always a debt ceiling where and mostly Congress continues to sort of vote to kick the can down the road, right? Which is to open a credit line. It's like it's like being in debt. If if, if you and your if your family, you and your family ran your financial household the way our government did, you would be bankrupt and on the streets, okay? Um, it would be like your family has a, a mortgage and like two car payments, right? But then you want to add two more cars to your household. But you've already, you, you haven't paid off the ones you already have and you're, you're currently in debt on your mortgage. So you have all this debt, but you're looking to increase the amount of debt that you have. Does that make any sense? It doesn't because you would never do that because that's retarded, right? Uh, or at least financially irresponsible. Let's let's put it that way. And that could end up where you have too many payments and then you uh, have to sort of repo the cars you just bought or uh, you know foreclose on the house that you bought, right? So these are ways that this would happen with this would happened to you and your family, but that doesn't seem to happen to our government. The government continue to, again, raise the credit limit, even though we have all this debt. I think the biggest issue that I'm having with the political world today is that Democrat, Republican, there's no connection with how does this country grow its GDP, its gross domestic product? How does this country actually make money? And is that going to be a thing? Or are we going to talk about it? That's like, again, Getting the two cars, getting the debt that you're going to add to your house. Let's just imagine you got the mortgage, you got two cars already. Now you have a total of four cars. You're totally in debt. And uh, oh yeah, you quit your job. I want you to think about it like that because that's what our government's doing. Our government doesn't know how to make money. Our politicians don't know how to make money. They don't want to do the proper amount of trade with different countries that can bring in revenues. 
like through sanctioning and different issues or taxing or tariffs on other nations. No, we don't want to think about anything like that. We don't want to think about the, all they can think about is raising taxes. But even if you were to raise taxes and, and, and if you, if you had a hundred percent of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk's wealth, it still wouldn't even fund healthcare for, for the elderly through the government run Medicare system for, for two years. So, so it's like, it's never ending spending. Uh, and there's no element of making money. They just want to tax people and they want to raise taxes. But it's like, if you're, if your people aren't even making money, your people don't have access to jobs or their own form of wealth. What are, what are these politicians even doing? It's like watching authoritarians not even know how stupid they really are. And that's kind of what we're witnessing. And so guess what? In a week from now or two weeks from now, the government is going to shut down and there's going to be this political theater that happens around it. And it's going to be embarrassing. Uh, and we're just going to uh, kind of watch that unfold, right? So we have things like this happening. These are financial elements of the matrix that are very, very important to acknowledge, which is the Federal Reserve Bank, which is the fact that the U.S. Treasury is going to ask for more money from the Federal Reserve Bank, which the Federal Reserve Bank, hell, they don't even print money anymore. All they do is just type in, you know, a couple zeros on a computer and then boom, they just, they sell these bonds to the U.S. Treasury. So the, or, or they, they give the bonds over. So then the bonds, the U.S. Treasury bonds, guess who else buys those bonds? China. Japan, the United Emirates, the Middle East, these, all these different elements of, of, of superpowers all over the world, they all buy U.S. Treasury bonds. And so it's an IOU. That's what it is. It's like, it's like your dad and then mom and then your aunt and then your cousin and then, and then your mother-in-law all buying your car and they're, they're financing the car that you just bought, the two cars you just bought, like your family bought two cars, right? That's like having all these different people in your life financing you. So you owe everybody money. You don't just owe your auto loan, that financial institution, that would be the Federal Reserve Bank in this case. You don't just own the Federal Reserve, owe the Federal Reserve Bank, which the Federal Reserve Bank will buy up most of the treasury bonds, right? Obviously the majority, but you do have a larger slot percentage going and being sold off, all these treasury bonds being sold off to these different superpowers like China. So it's like, really, we're going to owe money to China. We're gonna have to pay back China at some point. And then the funniest part, like I said earlier, there's no source of income. This country is like just a sitting duck. And, uh, there's no, there's no element of how are we going to make money? How are we going to budget? There's no budget they're trying to pass. So that's, what's really frustrating right now in politics. And there's this big fight happening in DC, but we're not even going to get into that. We're not even going to get into that. It's really not even important. It's really not because what I'm going to tell you is the most important element to what's actually happening around the world. And uh, I'm going to read an article and it's going to be referring to central banks, digital currencies. So central bank, digital currencies. So you've heard of Bitcoin, you've heard of cryptocurrencies, but have you heard of central bank digital currencies? So if you don't know this already, there's about 32 major central banks that run the world. They are the ones that provide loans, like the Federal Reserve is one of 32 major central banks that exist uh, in the world, right? And you ought to ask yourself, who owns those banks? Like, who are the bankers that own shares of the Federal Reserve or the International Monetary Fund or the World Bank or the Bank of Singapore or the Bank of China? 
you know, who owns those shares? That'd be a really good question to ask. Well, it's not Elon Musk and it's not Jeff Bezos. So if you're going to learn anything today, I will tell you that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are the furthest from the richest people in the world, actually. There are much richer families that exist in the world, and that is 100% true. Uh, this They're just the top of the Forbes list. So everybody gets kind of confused, and then I love all the socialists out there running around thinking that if they tax Jeff Bezos a, a couple more percentage points, that somehow that'll fund all the social programs and to solve climate change or something. But it's not. It's all garbage. So um, that's interesting. So without further ado, I'm going to refer to an article on the Zero Hedge, and we're going to talk about central bank digital currencies, and this is the title of it, A Future of Surveillance and Control. So I'm going to just uh, note a few different elements of this article, but it's going to be a deeper read, and I do recommend if you do want this, I'm going to post this in the description in the podcast, so you can just go click this for yourself and go read the article. I think it's really, really well written, and I think it encompasses quite a bit, and it's, it's, a, it's a nice long read. It isn't just some little fly-by-night sort of you know uh, dump on, on central bank digital currencies. Uh, this is a really good read. So uh, I'm going to read just this uh, first line here. One of the most potentially far-reaching trends in the financial landscape right now is the imminent rollout of central bank digital currencies, or what they refer to an acronym as CBDCs. CBDCs. So when I say CBDCs, I'm referring to central bank digital currencies. Uh, And then continuing to read. And the parallel attacks which central bankers are waging on private digital currencies and tokens as they tee up the launch of their CBDCs. So um, they kind of, and, the, and this is the, the Bank of International Settlements, is this the paper that they're referring to here, which is essentially the largest central bank. Um, it's in, based in, uh, in, in Sweden. And they essentially attack Bitcoin. They hate Bitcoin. They hate Ethereum. They hate all these other cryptocurrencies because they have no central authority. So what you're gonna see throughout Riddled in this, this article is a critique obviously of that they don't this zero hedge does not promote the uh, central bank digital currencies but the bank of international settlements the document that the pdf i was reading they are promoting central bank digital currencies they want that to be a thing and so this is the next big shoe to drop if you're interested in what's next oh man the vaccines the vaccines and covid 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 you know like that's not that's all old news now i mean we're already in that tyranny and People all over the world are experiencing different levels of that tyranny. Australia, different from Canada. Canada, different from the U.S. The U.S., different from Poland and, and from, uh, and from uh, uh, England and different elements of the world. And then Africa, who doesn't give a fuck about any of the COVID anymore. They're over it. They don't have really any restrictions there. Uh, God bless them. I mean, that's awesome. So here's the deal. First, some clarifications. I'm reading the article. While the majority of central bank-issued currencies, fiat currencies, meaning fake currency, in existence around the world are already in digital form, a fiat currency held in digital form is not the same as a central bank digital currency. So what is a central bank digital currency? Well, let's see. A CBDC generally refers to electronic or virtual central bank fiat money that is created in the form of digital tokens or account balances, which are digital claims on the central bank. The CBDCs will be issued by central banks and will be legal tender. So look, they're going to be, when they launch this, by the way, the Federal Reserve, they're all doing it. Canada, they're actually ahead on this. 
the the digitized one, the Chinese one. They've already digitized. They've already launched this. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So very, very interesting. And what's going to happen is they're going to bypass all the legal remedies. So the legality of the central bank digital currencies, those are going to be passed in Congress and, and uh, houses of legislation all over the world. Those will get passed real easily. And so, yes, there's going to be a digital currency, uh, but it will not be Bitcoin. It'll be the central banking version of it, and that'll be the legal version of it. Then there's going to be this sort of dark web era that we're going into, which will be the Bitcoin and Ethereum and Cardano and, you know, whatever you're buying right now, Solana and other, you know, amazing different cryptocurrencies out there that are going to be available for people like you and I, those of us listening to this podcast, where we're going to be able to only use these currencies to buy and exchange things where there's absolutely no way to track what we're buying, the products we're using or doing anything. And I'm going to get to all that in a minute. So, however, unlike private cryptocurrencies, I'm reading now, which use a permissionless and open design, CBDCs, the central banking version of it, they will use permissioned variants, deciding who has access to the network and who can view and update records in the ledger. So, um, critically, as the name suggests, CBDCs will be centralized and governed by the issuing authority or central bank. So in their design and structure, CBDCs uh, can be viewed as the very antithesis uh, to decentralized private cryptocurrencies and tokens. Central banks have already working on two types of CBDCs, wholesale digital tokens that would have access restricted to banks and financial entities to be used for activities like interbank payments and wholesale market transactions, and then general purpose or retail CBDC for the general public to be used in retail transactions. So they're going to turn the dollar digital. And it's funny because even people in the generation before me, they were skeptical of credit cards, actually. They did not like the idea of debit and credit cards. They, they thought that a cashless society was satanic and that it would lead to a satanic control in that sense, a biblical version of it. But also they, they believe that it was odd that their banking transactions and their debit payments and their credit payments would always be available at their local Wells Fargo or the Chase Bank that they banked with, right? And that there was always a record keeping of bank statements. And so in some ways it violated privacy, right? Because essentially I, I can't tell you how many court cases have gotten bank statements as a form of evidence to be used in a prosecution of somebody. So essentially your bank statements can be used against you, right? Uh, if you, if they have, if a court has a subpoena, a prosecutor has a subpoena to grab your bank statements to see what you're buying and they want to use what you're buying against you in a court of law, they can do that because essentially you used your debit card or credit card. And so a lot of people were skeptical about even using credit cards and debit cards. Can you imagine that? Now we live in a world where we use it all the time. So what I'm telling you is that a cash payment, we all know that, you know, servers love their cash tips, uh, bartenders and, um, and hairstylists and massage therapists. I mean, the, the list goes on. Uh, any practitioner, really, they love cash tips and they love you paying in cash. 
Um, it's a big, big thing. Also, credit card processors take a little percentage out and stuff like that. So if you pay cash, it's it's like you can get a discount, things like that. So cash in general has been really uh, things that people enjoy because it's it's not tracked and really it's not taxed when you think about it. I mean, if you if you claim that you have the cash, then that's being honest and it's an honest society. Um, whereas if you, I know servers who they claim as little as they possibly can. Okay. I mean, you know, I've been in that world before, so I'm just giving you an idea of like how we've already gone to digital in many ways, the way we use debit and credit cards. So to sit here and say like, oh my gosh, I'll never be using a central bank digital currency. That's not, that's satanic. I will never, you know, it's like, no, you're going to, because this is exactly what they're going to do. And, um, what's interesting is. I'm going to kind of skip through this because I don't want the whole podcast to be about this. It's very very important, but I don't want it to be the whole podcast. I'll maybe even do a whole another podcast. I have no idea, but I have some more important things to get to. Um, But let's see. Uh, Yeah, we've got a rollout of different banks have already – the central banks all over the world. I'm, I'm looking at – again, if you're reading the article, you can see that there are certain countries that have central banks that have already have, they already have certain systems in place to have digital currencies, okay? And um, this is very important because as those countries roll their beta flow out there, uh, we'll get to see how it really works. Um, But one thing I was watching and, and reading about in the BIS document, the Business of International Settlements document, was actually how they're going to use the digital currencies to track and trace what everybody buys. Um, whereas right now, when you do pay for Visa, MasterCard, things like that, um, yes, banking institutions are allowed to see what you're buying, right, from the merchants and the merchant names and things like that. But for the government to be able to see that, they would have to get a subpoena. You would have to be under a investigation for, for, for a government to see that, right? Well, the central banking currencies, this idea around having a digital token, the ledger and the blockchain, what they would do is it would be a central authority, again, the antithesis of a Bitcoin, which is totally decentralized and needs other nodes or computers to confirm a transaction. And yes, it takes 10 minutes and yes, it's, it's longer and, and who knows, other things like Ethereum and other places will find faster transaction times. Uh, but the point is, is like, with a central bank digital currency, they will be able to track and trace every single purchase that you make. That's the biggest That's the biggest thing. And they will be able to do it in real time and they'll be able to do it without a court order. So no need for a court order. This is what they're trying to roll out. So I'm going to read from uh, one of the, uh, I think it's from the Atlantic. The central bank interests uh, in CBDCs comes at a critical time, they say. Several recent developments have placed a number of potential innovations involving digital currencies high on the agenda. This this article is our uh, uh, this other article that they're referring to here is talking about the central banking interest and saying why why are central banks going to do this? And here here's here's the quote. Okay, the first of these is the growing attention received by Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So they just, right off the bow, they realize that Bitcoin is a threat to the central banking power. The second is the debate on stable coins. Now, what is stable coins? Stable coins is a way for you to trade on the crypto markets where you're able to 
buy a instead of USD dollar, you can get USDT, which is Tether, which is a it marks the exact it's a token, but it's not a US dollar, but it represents the exact value of dollars. And then you can re, re you can actually reinvest into another cryptocurrency without your bank ever seeing it, without it, without your your transaction, without your your crypto trade, if you will, turning into U.S. dollars. You can turn it into a U.S. dollar token that's already called a stable coin that already exists in the crypto sphere. So I'm just gonna let you know now that's already a reality, and they're pointing it out right here. So literally, the central banking authority, the Atlantic which is a globalist publication if anybody knows the atlantic they are they know what a stable coin is they are acknowledging the problem of stable coins and the third they say this is another element is the entry of large technology firms into payment services and financial services just more generally so what they're saying there and that third key point is this is from the central banker's position this is from the the globalist position speaking to you the peons they are saying that the entry of technology firms or companies to decentralize payment systems so that you can pay for something nobody knows your bank doesn't know the government will never know and you bought it and there's an exchange of value whether it's you're buying a car from somebody or you're buying a massage from somebody whatever it is there's an exchange of value that is totally unmarked and it's not traceable and it's between you and that person it's totally private and then bada boom bada bang that in the central banking perspective is a huge threat and it's the it's why uh, CBDCs, central banking digital currencies, are a critical time right now and how they need to speed up the agenda on the digital currency. So again, guys, this is coming to a house, uh, to a place near you very, very soon. Now, let's see this other thing I was going to get into. Um, this is coming right from the business of international settlements. Uh, this is a, a guy. This is one of the head guys there. He's the general manager, the general manager of the Bank of International Settlements. This is a quote from him. Again, a, a big, massive central bank. This is a quote from a central banker. He says, we don't know who's using a $100 bill today. And we don't know who's using a $1,000 peso or 1,000 peso t bill today. I quote, the key difference with the CBDC, a central bank digital currency, is the central bank will have absolute control, this is quote, on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that expression of central bank liability. And also, we will have the technology to enforce that. Let me um, translate that for you. This guy who's a central banker speaking, okay, he's speaking on behalf of central bankers. He says that they will have the ability to enforce a determination of how your money is spent. They can decline purchases. They can do anything, okay? And this is what we're going to look at what's going to happen in the future, and I'm just going to get right to it and you can read the whole you can read this whole thing but one of the major major things that is going to happen in the future is if you disobey 
the idea of the social credit system, the, the, if you disobey, you don't get the vaccine or you don't get a mask or whatever. It's not just going to be that your dating profile is going to get less views or something like that. That'll happen. But what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to get a mortgage in the future. You're not going to be able to, um, get an auto loan and you may not be able to buy certain things in certain cities or certain zip codes or certain counties or whatever. You're going to be put in a position where they, the central banking authority, that digital token goes straight there, is able to control every element of what you do. And don't even get me started because the next thing I wanted to talk about just briefly, this is, and I'm just only framing the issues in the financial sector. I'm going to get to the point where how you can get out of it and how we can break through. But this is the last point I'm going to make, which is the global carbon tax system that they're announcing. So I posted the, on my Facebook, if you guys want to see, and some of y'all are live on Facebook right now, you can just go to my profile and check it out. Uh, but I explained what the carbon emissions tax is really all about uh, in a very simple but yet funny way. Um, And I can just tell you that MasterCard has now a program they've launched that is going to track your, your carbon footprint based on the purchases that you make. So they will limit your ability to overspend on what they call your carbon limit. And carbon is literally your fucking food, by the way. Like if you like a ribeye steak, you're going to be considered, that's going to be a carbon purchase. If you like to fill up your gasoline car, everybody's whatever, get a Prius, you got to get a Tesla. Okay, fine. Yeah, you want everyone to go electric? Like again, I'm going to get to that later. China owns all the battery markets and it's just not sustainable right now. You just can't, we just can't do that. So if every time you go to the gas pump, you are now you you're using your your carbon credits, right? And so at one point or one point or another, they're going to start limiting your ability to get gasoline from your debit card, okay? And all the while they're going to stop printing cash by the way. So once they have the central bank tokens all available to everybody, they're going to implement a whole social credit score and it's going to be a like a specific thing everyone's going to have and this is this is it. I mean, We are looking at a financial vertical integration that we've never quite seen before. And I'm really starting to vibe with those people who are scared about credit and debit cards, okay? Because I think they might've had a really interesting point. Um, So look, I mean, at the end of the day, there's so many elements to the the financial matrix that I can't even get to all of it. um, And I'm not gonna spend too much time on it because a lot of you listening, you may know about some of those issues. You may understand some of those issues. Um, but I hope that I framed up a good reason why we need to escape out of this this financial matrix, okay? 